and welcome to the Good Librations podcast. Good Librations is a celebration of libraries, of books and of different aspects of literature. Why we think those different aspects have been important over time and why they're still important and will remain so. I'm Carla, the Outreach Library Officer at Kiama Municipal Library. And I'm Lauren, the Library Officer for Jeringong Library, a branch of the Kiama Library Service. Each podcast is going to feature structured segments, including reviews and funny bits and what's on in the library. But we'll be focusing mainly on a single literary topic and what we love about it, why it's interesting, why it's important and how it's impacted on us. Please remember that this podcast is just two people who love critical discussion and that everything shared is purely our own opinion and you're free to either agree or disagree with us. Please leave us feedback via the podcast page on the Kiama Library website, letting us know your thoughts on anything we discuss and we may even mention it in a future podcast. Today's topic is... Poetry! Poetry! But first, on to our opening segment, Shelf Absorbed. Shelf Absorbed is a segment for us to quickly discuss what we've been reading. We think it's important to share what you've been reading with others. You could inspire someone to try a new author or steer them away from a book that might not suit their interests so they can find a book that does. In future podcasts, we're going to ask one of our colleagues to do a quick review of their favourite recent read, but for today, it's just us. So, what I've been reading? Well, I've been listening to Samantha Shannon's The Bone Season on audiobook. Carla has read this also, and we've discussed at length how incredible her world building is across all of her books. The protagonist is Paige Marnie, a 19-year-old Irish dreamwalker in a world where magic is illegal, but something that people are born into, which is an interesting thing in and of itself and inspires a lot of discussion. She commits an accidental crime and is absorbed into an other world of monsters and madness, and the level of beautiful detail that Shannon includes is completely astonishing. There's always an undercurrent of danger and intense stakes which just drags you onward through the story. You just can't help but continue and there's layers and layers of new information that gives everything a real richness and depth that absolutely blows me away. Highly recommended if you love fantasy and sci-fi stories. I've been reading, I've just finished, the uh, in a great frenzy, The Illuminae, the first book in the Illuminae Files series. Lauren actually recommended this book off the back of a conversation we had about Bone Season. Um, Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff has, have created an incredible world um, and a fast-paced blinder of a story that I finished in about a day because I could not put it down. I'm often bemoaning the bleakness of the typical YA dystopian novel um a subject i very much hope we get into in future podcasts um but this book was funny and heartbreaking and very very clever uh we meet our just fantastic protagonist katie grant about 24 hours after she broke up with her boyfriend and within the first chapter her planet gets invaded she's whisked away on a spaceship and there are hints of corporate terrorism and a biological weapon in the form of a swiftly mutating virus There's no let up in this book and I am here for it. Yes, and also it's presented in such an interesting way. It's like a collection of files basically, which sounds like you wouldn't really flow through that story a lot, but it's absolutely astonishing. Yeah, the way that they write it and what, like how how they put it together is just is unreal yeah um i very highly recommend if you like ya dystopia but like me particularly if you boggle at the lack of a character's ability to either tell or take a joke (laughs) and now on to our topic of the day 
our segment, our main segment of the day is called Shelf Important, which our topic today, as we discussed before, is poetry. Why it mattered then and why it matters now. And when we first discussed this podcast, we never imagined that poetry would be the first thing that we discussed. But somehow it was something that we found really flowed out naturally. And maybe that's because of what poetry is, an expression of something inside us that just comes out in this creative, exploratory way. Absolutely. I remember when you first brought up that we should do poetry and I sort of just went, oh, poetry. Um, I hate poetry. And then I just sort of pontificated wildly about it and passionately about it for 37 minutes and then thought, maybe no, actually, we could talk about poetry on the podcast. (laughs) We should have just pressed play then and there. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that we liked that this could be a a gateway to poetry for those who have that same knee-jerk reaction that I did. Um, because actually I think it's a really accessible form of literature. It's often quick and easy to read. It's rhythmic, it's flowing. It's usually very emotional, so it validates us and our experiences. Um, And as we were putting the final edits of this episode, I actually just came across the perfect quote for why poetry is accessible. Um, It's from a poet named Mark Trednick, who lives in Barrel. I don't really know anything about him, um, but he says... Poetry transfigures trouble into beauty, chaos into coherence. And since trouble and chaos always threaten, then it is always poetry's moment. Beautiful. So why has poetry been important? Well, across history, poetry was created, recited and even sung as a way of remembering history and genealogy and law. And it dates back to prehistory with songs and chants in the Bible, hunting poetry in Africa, the epic poems of ancient Greece. And then it moves through into the poets from history that are still incredibly popular today, like Rumi. And then we get closer to present times with 19th century romantic poets like Whitman and Dickinson and Wordsworth, which is the best name for a poet ever, right? So great. (laughs) And then 20th century phenomenons like Maya Angelou. And when we were discussing the podcast, Carla mentioned three things that make something great. Beauty, function and importance. And now, especially for something like poetry, this works so well. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's it's accessible. Often poetry is short enough that it isn't an overwhelming read, although not always. And I'm looking at you, I'm Mark, I am, and Homer and Virgil and, and, uh, and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. <laughs> Longfellow indeed. Um, there are brief moments of impact. I, I appreciate a poet's ability to shape a world within a few stanzas and pull us into the drama and emotion of it. It's very clever. Uh, world building and expression on that kind of truncated scale is pretty genius. Absolutely. Firstly, poetry is undoubtedly beautiful. I absolutely love poetry for this reason because I love the language itself and I think a lot of my love of language comes from reading and writing and personal exploration rather than being sort of properly taught language and grammar and I can't really remember a lot of my education of those things and I don't even really feel like I can describe any part of that specifically even today but I just love words and how they're put together and because I'm a reader I just sort of know how things should sound so that's always how poetry has appealed to me the beauty of the language and the cleverness of the rhyme and randomly one of the poets that captured my fancy even as a a young girl was Banjo Patterson's Clancy of the Overflow and there's just a little stanza in particular that I think is such a great illustration of the way that he wrote. It says, 
I am sitting in my dingy little office where a stingy ray of sunlight struggles feebly down between the houses tall and the fetid air and gritty of the dusty dirty city through the open window floating spreads its foulness over all. And I just love the picture that like a few words just put together give you. You're just transported into that scene and the rhythm of the rhyming is just so clever and descriptive and evocative. I I really um I really love that cadence. It really res- reminds me of um, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven too, sure. um, which also reminds me of Dr. Seuss, who I adore. <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> it's, it's not that it's not that far apart. It's no. great. <laughs> There's so much beautiful poetry on record, and we know Shakespeare's plays featured mostly beautiful verse. Um, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? And then. Uh, poets like Dylan Thomas, Do Not Go Gentle Into the Night, T.S. Eliot's Cat's Poems, which were turned into the popular musical, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, which is just enormous, and then poetry um, that features in Tolkien's books, uh, for example, All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter, which is brief but so memorable. Some of the most beautiful poetry I think that's ever been written was written arguably by the Romantics. Um, so when we talk about the Romantic poets, we're talking about the period around the 1780s and 1820s. Um, Felicia Dorothea Hemans, uh, William Blake, Percy by Shelley, John Keats and Samuel Taylor Coleridge, Wordsworth and my boy Byron. <laughs> um, just as an aside, when I think about the Romantic poets, I sort of have this image of a bunch of dudes just moodily sitting around fireplaces with their shirts <laughs> open in their velvet jackets <laughs> swapping stories about consumption or syphilis or their laudanum addictions <laughs> i mean i'm sure there was some probably there was probably some writing going on here and there sure. as well um but they give me such an instantly evocative image of the moody tragedy hero i love it i would 100 percent binge watch an entire series based on the romantic poets to the absolute detriment of every single responsibility in my life i know you would you but would. <laughs> i would i love it particularly byron <laughs> That guy was off the hook. Um, So, with the Romantics, we have a bunch of very passionate artists and philosophers and musicians and poets and writers who have become really disillusioned with the order and the convention and the classicism and the stuffiness of the Enlightenment period. Um, And they've started creating art and poetry and music that communicates this desire for liberty and individualism and the expression of intense feelings and vulnerabilities. Um, And, you know, bless them, they took on this mantle of responsibility for the emancipation of the poor Mm -hmm. and felt that... They were chosen and given an almost divine right to lead society to real and lasting change. Mm. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a big mental that they've <laughs> sure. taken just on themselves, take but on. they totally did. They just decided sure. decided for themselves it was up to them. Yeah. Um, but remember, this was around the time of, of fairly serious and often violent so, social upheaval too. The French Revolution was happening. The Greek War of Independence, among others, occurred in this time period. So they were quite radical in their philosophies. Um, And what I find really beautiful, too, was maybe for the first time in any kind of formal poetry, although I'm happy to be proven wrong here and everywhere, um, (laughs) we start seeing with the Romantics voices other than the elite classes, primarily aristocratic white men. Um, get some airtime. So suddenly their audiences are learning about the lives and experiences of women, of Mm -hmm. the working class, children, fallen women. You didn't see it, but there were air quotes around (laughs) fallen. 
um, those with mental issues, um, immigrants, soldiers, prostitutes, and learning about them in uh, quite a compassionate and complex way. Sure. Um, so that, you know, it, it was not really just a token view of these types of people. Um, Retrospectively, it kind of looks a little bit like a saviour complex, but at the time, this was incredibly radical writing. Um, Felicia Dorothea Hemans, for instance, wrote a sequence of poems in in 1828 solely about the female experience called Records of Women. And there's a quote here that I love of hers, which is, she says, um, There is in all this cold and hollow world no font of deep, strong, deathless love, save that within a mother's heart. Mm. And it's so beautiful. And I really love that it makes mother love more important than romantic love because throughout history and time, particularly as women, we are subject to this messaging um, that romantic love is the great love and great aim of our lives. And I like that Hammonds just sort of goes, hmm... Nah. (laughs) (laughs) And again, that goes back to accessibility, doesn't it? Absolutely. Like making it something that both of us for sure can relate to. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I love that poetry can be absolutely anything to anyone. And personally for myself, I know that rhyming poetry appeals more to me than verse in a looser structure, but then poems that don't rhyme feel more emotive and exposing the heart of something. And then I think that leads then into function yeah so poetry has great function um as discussed before it was a tool of history and memory and expression and then a pathway to cultural history um, and truth-telling and it's something that is creative and vivid and revealing of things that are both personal and timely and political Um, many people in recent years have connected with the poetry of popular singers and rappers like um, tupac and erica badu it's a powerful tool used by people who aren't considered to be specifically poets Uh, for example comedians like Bo Burnham use poetry and song structure to express their comedy. His latest work on Netflix, Inside, is amazing. Have you seen it, Lauren? <laughs> yes. I'll, yep. Finish your <laughs> sentence because then I'll talk. <laughs> so I watched about 20 minutes of it before I had a full-on panic attack and turned it <laughs> off because it's just way too spot on about the current state of um, the world and of ISO and it it was honestly he's amazing Bo Burnham is a next level actual genius actual genius yes I finished watching it too and it's so visceral and confronting and entertaining and thought-provoking and then in making you think about things it makes you think about yourself and then how you react and what traps you fall into it's just mind-blowing yeah he's he's incredible anybody who um uh, we do recommend that anybody watch Inside, and if you can't take that on at the moment, then his, <laughs> it's pretty intense. His, his previous um, stand-up show, um, I think it's called What, is on yes. Netflix as well. And Make Happy as well. And Make Happy, yeah. Yep. These are uh, far less intense, but you still get... <laughs> still got a sense of that. Absolutely. <laughs> a sense of his personality. A sense of his amazing personality, yeah. Yes. Um, so let's talk about meter too, because I find meter really fascinating. It's not something that we are very conscious of, but we use meter all the time not just when we're singing or rapping or reciting poetry but just in our normal everyday talking voices Uh, we talk to a beat we stress particular words and we fluctuate our volume and our timbre just in our normal everyday talking voices and it sounds really odd and sort of jarring to us when someone speaks to us without using that kind of meter or that rhythm that we're used to so robotic voices for instance or um, people for whom our language is not their first language, and so their own language has its own distinct rhythm and patterns. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So singing or reciting poetry is familiar to us 
in a sort of physical sense as just speaking. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And we wanted to give a couple of examples as well of the function of some well-known poetic structures that you've probably heard of. And first, the sonnet. We know that from um, Shakespeare, of course, is very well known for his beautiful sonnets. And they occurred in 14 lines in a set rhyme scheme and a logical structure, usually featuring two contrasting characters, events, beliefs or emotions, where poets then examine the tension that exists between those two elements. Uh, Then secondly, we've got the limerick, very popular, (laughs) which was five lines um, with syllable and rhyming conditions. And the function of of these ones was to provide that levity and humour and entertainment. I feel like like the limerick is probably one of the most accessible forms of poetry (laughs) that exists. Because not only is it short and quick, but also... Um, I, I feel like the aim with the limerick is to be as vile as possible. <laughs> That's true. And as funny as possible. So, yeah. But still in like a nice poetic structure. Absolutely. So it's acceptable. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then, of course, the haiku is very well known as well, which is completely unrhymed and with like a 575 pattern to the words. Uh, this poem, it shares a brief moment or event so that the reader can bring to life that event in his or her mind and and thus experience the same feelings as the author or speaker of that poem without having to actually physically experience what the author is expressing. And so these sort of different poetical structures, they have completely different functions and purposes and patterns, but they each have their place in poetic history and they're all important. And difficult. We <laughs> yes. we we thought maybe we would write a haiku for you all. <laughs> Um, on the fly, but actually, it's really hard. Like, it's not it's, something you can do on the fly. There's three lines in a haiku, or four lines to max in a yes. haiku, um, and it's really, really difficult to to write a haiku. So you know, well done. <laughs> Good luck. Um, and thirdly, yeah, poetry is important. It exposes, it demands change. Um, It takes current events and issues and shines a light on them. Young poets, particularly at the moment, like Amanda Gorman, for instance, have used the world stage to discuss pertinent, divisive subjects that matter in today's world. She read her poem, The Hill We Climb, at Joe Biden's presidential inauguration, and it's a great example of beauty, function, and importance all wrapped up in a bow and I would absolutely recommend anybody to go and um, and find that on the internet and watch it because it is a fantastic performance. Yes, it's beautiful and we'll have the link for that on our podcast page also. Yeah, good idea. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about spoken word because I feel all slam poetry because it's having such a moment right now, um, which is great. You know, like I think Amanda Gorman is definitely a spoken word poet, I would call her. For sure. Or a slam poet even. Um, So spoken word poetry has its roots in the negritude movement of the 1930s. And poets like, and I do apologise if I say these names incorrectly, (laughs) because I probably will. But poets like Langston Huge and Leopold Senghor and Ami Césaire which not bad I didn't it wasn't bad very very good really (laughs) which much like any modern spoken word performances were scaffolded on these ideas of anti-colonization on racism on social oppression and the presentation of black culture and in different races in a way that was very different to how they were being presented by white mainstream culture and media Um, this in turn informed the beat generation and the counterculture of the 1950s so poets like Allen Ginsberg and Jack 
Kerouac. And we could go further back, really. Um, perhaps even to the epics of Homer, there is an argument that, um, you know, Homer and the epics of Homer were, were sort of the original spoken word sure. poetry. Yeah. Um, and have you, as you have mentioned previously, the performance of poetry is very much in the vein of oral storytelling or in the oral tradition. Sure. And we find orally transmitted poems throughout history and like in every culture of the world. Yeah. I have actually been watching a lot of slam poetry and spoken word poets recently. Um, I can thank the Facebook filter bubbles for that, really. I happened to cross a, po- a performance of Neil Hilborn's um, OCD and I was just absolutely floored by it. It was so powerful and so heartbreaking and so vulnerable and just so clever. And it's really the most magnificent piece of art I think I may have ever seen. Like, it is very, very beautiful. Yes, I read this the other day at your recommendation. It's it's so beautiful. It's such incredible creative prowess, but also just transporting mm. into a situation that a lot of people would not have any any context for and and it's important because of that because you really get a sense of the way a mind works in the throes of this disorder and how it affects more than one life absolutely and i would i would definitely recommend i think we'll have a link for um for this as well on the on the pod but definitely everything we discussed everything we discussed today yeah um but definitely watch neil hillborn perform this piece because it is his performance is just uh, there are no words he's un he's unreal (laughs) uh so down the rabbit hole i went um, and I kept as we do came down the slam poetry rabbit hole I went and I kept coming across these genius poets like Rachel Wiley um, and Andrea Gibson and Rudy Francisco and Rudy Francisco has written some of the most beautiful lines about love and relationships and the relationship to ourselves I think I have ever read for me he's like the Jane Austen of the American slam movement <laughs> um, he writes here the first time I heard my name in your mouth The ground felt like a language I haven't spoken in years. I forgot everything I knew about gravity. And it's important to talk about the performative nature of spoken word and slam poetry. The performance is absolutely part of the function of poetry. Yes. A poem is as much about reading it and its intonation as the words themselves. And absolutely no judgment. But but poetry can sometimes be read aloud incorrectly, which, of course, it doesn't matter. Read it absolutely how you want. But it can affect the intent and the reception of a poem. And poetry should be practised. If you're going to read it out loud, which... Look is another helpful tool for children as they learn to speak publicly and poetry absolutely just helps children learn and the structure and the rhyme, they're memorable and they allow interesting vocabulary and humour and allows children to identify with characters and memorise chunks of story and spell words that they might not have been exposed to yet and I just think all of that for children and for adults having that repetition and that practice um, it can absolutely change the intent of a poem and the reception of a poem and it, it just makes it all the more beautiful really absolutely yeah. absolutely um i wonder too then if that means perhaps spoken word poetry is a bit more accessible than the kind of classical literary poetry sure um social media i suppose has made it more more practically accessible we're living in an era of two minute clips uh, and reels and i think this time of poetry this type of poetry lends itself to the more transitory nature of how we view our media now um the language is often informal but like a lot of poetry it's passionate and vulnerable and validating and you know therein lies its power (laughs) yes 
Okay, so we wanted to share some poems with you that are important to us and that have had some kind of impact on us in any way, shape or form. So we've just got a few examples. We'll take it in turns, um, have a little chat about why they have impacted on us specifically. I'm sure you all have your own poems and literary journeys that that you can recount to. <laughs> So one of the poems I've chosen today is called Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. And I love this poem, but I'll, I'll just read it and then I'll talk about why I love it. <laughs> um, Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair yours and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile the world goes on. Meanwhile the sun and all the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. And I just stumbled across this poem and it, and it really spoke to me and to things I was dealing with at the time. And I really think that poetry, art, music, literature, whatever, can mean different things for you at different times. And occasionally we connect to something really important at a very specific time. Um, yeah. And I sort of love that cosmic convergence of particular moments in our lives and coming across the exact right oh, absolutely. Uh, movie or song yeah. or poem to illustrate them and yeah. to illustrate who we are in them. And I'm blessed enough to have read uh, Jane Eyre, for example, for the first time at the exact right time of my life to be able to appreciate and to connect with it and to take from it appropriately yeah. um, and to ex have experienced Nirvana's Nevermind again for the first time in at the exact time right time of my life and to have seen particular movies and connected with particular songs and so on and and witnessed or experienced particular pieces of artwork absolutely um i love the idea that art illustrates our lives and of course how wonderful the validation and the connection we experience through the writing and art of others is it's just incredible That's right. and this was certainly one of those happy coincidences and i'm very fond of the message of the poem and the gift that it gave me at a time that i really i sorely needed to hear it yeah, I really, I, I love that. And we've, we've certainly seen um, in these past years the, the desperation of isolated people and how art and poetry and literature and all of the warm, good, creative things have had a positive impact on those people. And that's absolutely true for me too. Yeah. Um, so moving a little bit away from the lyrical, beautiful words that we've just heard, <laughs> The next poem I would love to share is Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. And this is uh, one that features in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And most of, well, a good chunk of the words in it are absolute nonsense. Not actual words, but somehow it still makes sense. Let us know what you think of it. And I'm sure I'll mispronounce some of these. <laughs> I can't wait to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so... "'Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the momraths outgrabe. 
Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the manxome foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock, with eyes of flame, came whiffling through the tulgy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjustay, kaloo, kalay, he chortled in his joy. T'was brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves and the moanwraths outgrave. I just, abs- I just love it. I love so it. So great. <laughs> it's so great. Such a rollicking good time. Isn't it, it is, isn't it? And such like a contrast to the ones we've shared Absolutely. so far. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, like, I feel like this poem is really important to me because of the nostalgia I feel sure. when I read it. Um, and I feel like poetry can be that. It's an amazingly nostalgic and powerful thing, and it brings up things from childhood and exposes the the depths of feelings that we have about different issues and examines personal experiences in a cathartic way and so on. And this poem is absolutely nostalgic for me. My dad has been repeating this poem to me since I was really small and it's from him that I got my love of fantasy and science fiction books and and also my appreciation of the ridiculous. (laughs) And the first verse, it just absolutely makes no sense and yet it makes complete sense. And the rhyming is just perfect. There's a really incredible story underneath all of the nonsense words. And it depicts um, a positive relationship between a father and son, which is maybe another reason why it appeals to me, because <laughs> it reminds me of my dad. And dad always used to say, oh, frab just day, kalu kalay, just randomly, randomly and regularly. I love that. <laughs> and I just love the, the, the evocation of the nonsense words. It's not just a sword. It's a vorpal sword. Vorpal, not a word. but it evokes magic and sharpness and mystery and power and it's not just thought but it's uffish thought uffish not a word but evokes to me space and consternation and melancholy and whimsy and the borogoves are mimsy and to me that idea is just a whole kind of mystical moving shifting marsh-like forest but it might also mean other things to other people which is why it's so beautiful to me yeah, I love the word offish. Yeah. I feel like I'm just going to incorporate the word offish <laughs> in my everyday tongue. Yes, very good. <laughs> um, it is a wonderful example of nonsense poetry. It's rhythmic, it's rhyming, it's humorous, it's contradictory, it's impossible, it's, an, it's absurd, it's ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> the language is so clever. Lewis Carroll, of course, has many examples of great nonsense poetry, uh, uh, particularly across the Alice in Wonderland stories, like The Walrus and the Carpenter is another yes. great one. Yep. Uh, such great imagery in The Walrus and the Carpenter. Yep. Um, and other nonsense poetry to check out if you have time. Um, oh, The Ning Nang Nong by Spike Milligan. Yep. A classic. Uh, the Owl and the Pussycat, of course, by Edward Lee. And, of course, Anything at All by Dr. Seuss, <laughs> who we all love. We love Dr. Seuss. And I love nonsense poetry. I love, love I think it's because I love when people just make up words. Yes. I love that language is our own to do what we want with. I think we yep. forget that. It's true. Um, I think we forget that, that um, 
that language we own language yes. you know um and that no word god has come down from some literary mountain and <laughs> said nope that's enough uh no new words we're done with words we have enough words that's that's all we need there'll be no nonsense from this point on thank you very much um there's something really sort of anarchically wonderful about poems that just say no, no. to language and literary convention i love that that's right um another one i love is um Boomerang Valentine by Andrea Gibson and Andrea Gibson is just an amazing human slash poet. (laughs) I'm not actually going to recite it here because I will cry Um, (laughs) and I won't do the poet justice or the poem justice at all. But here is one little excerpt I adore. Um, She says, on days I have a hard time keeping warm in my own weather. I imagine what the first flower said to the first human trying to name half its petals. Love me nots. No, that is not how anything grows. Oh, that's beautiful. I know. I cry every single time <laughs> I watch it. It's funny and brilliant and so powerful and perfect and true. Um, check her out on our website. We'll, yep, we'll post all the link links here. are there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another poem that I wanted to discuss is the poem by Robert Herrick called To the Virgins to Make Much of Time. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, old time is still a-flying, and this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. The glorious lamp of heaven, the sun, the higher he's a-getting, the sooner will his race be run, the nearer he's to setting. That age is best which is the first, when youth and blood are warmer, but being spent, the worse and worst times till still succeed the former. Then be not coy, but use your time, and while ye may, go marry, for having lost but once your prime, you may forever tarry. And it's just um, it's just a short little poem and maybe not meaningful to a lot of people, but it was, I, I suppose, one of my first proper absorptions of poetry, I feel, because it was used in the movie Dead Poets Society, which is just an absolutely heartbreaking film. Yep. It's just, but it is an incredible examination of poetry and what it can inspire and it's absolutely brilliant yes, it's a it. brilliant film watch it go now Stop. even though press pause go awful. now <laughs> yes <laughs> so there's so many amazing classic poems that crop up crop up in it including oh captain my captain by walt whitman which is now irrevocably associated with standing on a desk yep. and with the incomparable robin williams which course. by the way i was going to talk a little bit about walt whitman and i forgot i don't know how um but <laughs> Oh, Captain, My Captain is his most famous yeah. um, part, poem or part of a poem yeah. um, that he read. But but please do yourself a favour and go and read more yes. Walt Whitman because he's a like, certified genius. He's, a, he's unreal. That's right. So, and that scene too, that whole standing on the desk scene, that really did become a pop culture mainstay, didn't it? Yes. Uh, how many times have we seen it repeated or parodied or seen homages to it? It really is an incredibly powerful cinematic moment and that it was inspired by poetry is a perfect example of what we mean when we say that poetry is important. Yes, 100%. Exactly. And it, it, and again, going back to accessibility. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the poem itself, it speaks of making the most of youth while you're, air quotes again, blooming. And then moving on from that, air quotes again, coy (laughs) lifestyle and into a marriage, lest you lose your prime and never find that marital security. And this poem always seemed a little dated to me because I originally read it as 
sexist with its focused on focus on marriage and being left on the shelf but it actually begins with that encouragement of coy youthfulness before settling down which brings up a very subjective part of poetry what the reader gets from the poem maybe because of the literal wording versus what the poem might the poet might have intended oh yes let's unpack this a little bit because (laughs) i love this is one of the things about poetry that i absolutely love what poetry says versus what it means and of course this is completely this is completely subjective absolutely um you know what we take from art is our own stuff um what artists mean or what writers mean um is their own stuff so you know the the, it's the relationship between the two that's that's sort of important but um there there definitely is a case for for particularly in early poetry like this um for there being sort of a, a salacious kind of undercurrent of um saying a thing that we weren't really allowed to say um <laughs> Saying a thing and meaning a, a, another thing is not any, by any means a concept confined to poetry. Fairy tales and fables and folk stories and songs and all other kinds of media um, use allegory and metaphor to communicate deeper meanings. And if yeah. we look even way back in the 12th and 13th centuries in the Occitan region of France, the troubadours and the troubaritzes, which were... Um, they were sort of traveling poets, if you like. Mm. They were sort of musical, um, sure. but they would create odes and yeah. um, they were essentially bards, lyri- lyrical bards. Of. They yeah. were kind of bards, yeah. yeah. They were roaming musicians and lyrical poets for hire who would construct verses and songs of courtly love for wealthy landowners. Um, and lyrically, the poems acted as odes to a particular noblewoman or a particular lady, <laughs> um, but functionally, the mm-hmm. songs were a means to win favor from wealthy landowners, usually the husbands or fathers of the lady being sung about um and that typically meant the reward of land or money or social standing and as with to the virgins this sort of salacious undermining of moralities maybe you know somebody basically saying yes go (laughs) gather ye gather ye rosebuds um you know we can see this sort of subversive messaging all throughout poetry um we can see it in john dunn's work too for example the flea which was written sometime around the 1590s and if we think about what was morally acceptable in the 1590s in England and uh, along comes John Donne with his purpling of nails um, the poem this poem the, the flea is filled with particularly ribald and fairly obvious metaphor and innuendo and also with religious imagery and ultimately the poem is about the narrator trying to undermine the notion of premarital sex um, that it, that premarital sex is shameful or that it's a sin and that was absolutely a subversion of the social conventions around pleasure and virginity and dishonor at the time so using poetry is not only a vehicle for different types of messaging yeah. around culture and values but also one which people could memorize and repeat yeah that's um it. this was completely making made these kind of messages accessible to illiterate members of communities yes. or people who couldn't access or afford written material, yes. you know. So um, that kind of um, memorising and repeating of, of poetry, you know, made it absolutely accessible to pretty much everyone. Yes, that's right. And and that um, the difference that we were talking about between the words that are written compared to what the poet actually meant by them. And then if you compare that again to a reader who could find a completely different meaning in the poem as well. So they can all be different and they're all valid. And that's why poetry is awesome. (laughs) That's true. There's no no one 
No, meaning, it's so really, yeah. um, infinite, really. Absolutely. Isn't it? Um, and then going quickly back to the Herrick poem, there's just um, something that just always really appealed to me about it, that message of not wasting time and taking opportunities. It's just as current today as it was then, although it can be channeled into whatever you desire really today, not just marriage. And that imagery of the smiling flower today that will be dying tomorrow, it's just you know, it grabs you. Quite and then, Yes, beautiful images of rosebuds, time flying, smiley flower, lamp of heaven, and then that melancholy message of the, the flip side of that, which is death and waste and endings and loss. And it's just a poem I've never forgotten since I saw it in that movie. Everything about that movie is unreal. It's unreal. Amazing. Unreal. So we thought we'd mention um, just a couple of other poetry podcasts that you could check out if you were so inclined. Uh, so there's The Slowdown, which is hosted by recent poet laureate Tracy K. Smith, and it's created and produced by a team that is comprised entirely of women and mostly people of colour. So the podcast perspective departs from that Western canon um, and global contemporary poets fre- feature frequently in it, which is amazing. And then you have um, Interesting People Reading Poetry, which is created by Brendan and Andy Sturmer. where an interesting individual such as a composer or a historian or a writer reads a poem that has had the biggest impact on their life and then each episode amazingly has an original score composed by the co-producer Andy Sturmer. I wonder if we can get Andy Sturmer to compose something to to your Jabberwocky recitation. Oh amazing that would be so cool. Um We've added some of our own poetry to the website. If you're interested enough to read it, please let us know what you think. We would love some feedback. Yes, gentle feedback. (laughs) Bring it on. I can take it. Now it's time for I Just Can't Help Myself. (laughs) We couldn't resist. Um, So this little segment um, is for us to climb back out of the depths of nerd, really, (laughs) to just share something interesting about our topic or some fun literary thing that we've seen. So today we just have some interesting facts about poetry. Um, So the first one, and I'm sure I will butcher this name, Mahabharata is the longest poem in the world. It is an Indian epic poem which has around 1.8 million words and over 100,000 lines. Um, Number two. Yep. The oldest written poem is the Epic of Gilgamesh, originating from Babylon. It's about a king, Gilgamesh, who was half god, half man. It is believed the poem is around 4,000 years old. That is incredible. It is, isn't it? A stanza in a poem originally contains 12 lines and is otherwise known as a verse. A couplet is a two-line stanza and a quatrain is a four-line stanza. Um, In 1852, oh, an 1852 edition of John Milton's poetical works was bound in the skin of a murderer. George Cudmore. Ew. Ew, right? Who would voluntarily Gross. pick that up to read? And like 1852 was not that long ago. You're right. That was a minute ago. <laughs> who's, who's binding things in skin like <laughs> 17 minutes ago in history? That's not okay. No, really. Not, not ever. Come on now. <laughs> 
Uh, German poet Gottlob Berman so despised the letter R that he avoided using it in his poetry and in everyday conversation. <laughs> That's like a real commitment, isn't it? Such a commitment. Why though? <laughs> Was there any more information? No. About our man Burnham? That's, I mean, look, Wait, there's an R in his last name. <laughs> Do you think he just avoided saying his own last name? Yeah, he just name? was never, he was just Gottlob. He never. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's more information about that online. There has too. to be some more. There has to be something behind that. Um, metrophobia is the name of a fear of poetry while metromania denotes a compulsion to write poetry. And I think I speak for every 14-year-old girl. I was about to say that. When I say we all had a case of metromania between the ages of 13 and 17. Absolutely. I have reams and reams of terrible (laughs) adolescent poetry. Intense poetry. Such intense poetry. That's it. Okay, the three biggest selling poets in the world are Shakespeare, Lao Tzu and Khalil Gibran. Uh, the word poetry, this is our final piece of trivia. The word poetry is from the Greek term poesis, which means making. I because love that. making has always been and will always be important. That's right, making anything. And I love that poetry is, is just, that's the term that we're using that's for it. making. Like it's poetry because there is a poetry to making. Well, that's I love that. A, that Look, that's very meta. It's <laughs> <laughs> very meta. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to follow Kyama Library on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out the podcast page on our website, library.kyama.newsouthwales.gov.au, for links to everything we spoke about today. Or just Google Kyama Library. Or just Google Kyama Library. You'll find it. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> the topic of our next uh, podcast is we are hoping for it to be book to screen adaptations. So we hope you'll have a listen as we're joined by our colleague to discuss all of our favourites, current ones that are happening right now, ones that are coming and ones that have been important over time and other ones that just make us furious. So <laughs> <laughs> please join us. Thanks for joining us today. We hope to see you again soon. Bye, everyone.